Deep Whimsy. I'm your host, Uncle D. My stories are 50% bullshit and the rest is questionable, but at least they're honest. Our Storybook Bear For every day that passed afterward, the bear shed a single tear, until he cried a pond that grew and grew and grew, until the sorrow was completely dried up within him, and he wandered back over the mountain, and was forgotten. Once there was a bear. He wasn't a big old grizzly, or even a polar, or a brown. He was a storybook bear. And as you know, those kinds of bears tend to be rather cute and cuddly, and he was no different than others of a similar nature, except for being rather homely. But make no mistake, underneath all of his fluff resided a bear. A true inheritor of ursine nature, if ever there was a question about his heart. He was, and always would be, a bear. And that was all there was to it. Being a bear, even a storybook bear such as himself, is truly a wonderful thing, as our little storybook bear knew. When he rested his eyes at night or opened them up in the morning, he did so with the knowledge that it was a very good thing to be a bear. But being a bear can be a very lonely thing. Very lonely indeed. Now our storybook bear had a rough journey ahead of him. Of course he did. After all, he got his own story written about him. If not, you wouldn't be reading about him now, now would you? And as you probably know, there, if there is a story, then there is a conflict. Heck, read the first paragraph over again and try to grasp the kind of sorrow it would take to cry a body of water. And that is where we begin our tale. Like I was saying before, our storybook bear was very lonely. It had been years since his mother, a kindly old woman from the east side of Dallas, had sewn him from bits of calico cloth and gingham and stuffing that she had been saving for a quilt for her baby that was never born, as a sign of love to a husband that she never married. And as you can see, it was quite understandable why that quilt was never made. When she finally resigned herself into turning her once forgotten quilting supplies into a toy bear, she was already quite old and rather feeble, and it took her quite a bit more time to create our storybook bear than she had originally intended. And on the last day of stitching up his left leg, the kindly old lady fell asleep and never woke up. Our storybook bear never knew his mother's name, and he never had a chance to be given a name of his own either for she had gone away to the slumberlands before she had honored him with such a thing. Now, as you may already know, a storybook bear isn't truly real until it's bestowed a name, and as such, when the estate sale occurred, it was given a tag that read Folk Art, Toy Bear, 50 cents, and no one ever took the time to name him. As the kindly old woman's belongings dwindled away with the drove of people who came into her home and fished money out of their pockets to buy a silver platter from her pantry, or to purchase her worn-out couch, our storybook bear waited patiently next to a china teacup for someone to take him home. He was floppy and squishy and half full of fluff, with his striped gingham leg folded underneath himself. The teacup went quickly, as did a bundle of old magazines and many spoons and shoes and various bits of jewelry. And still, our storybook bear sat where he was placed, and did not move an inch for as long as the estate sale continued. The people who came and bought the kindly old woman's belongings oohed and awed over her Tiffany lamps and diamond rings. Someone even bought the rest of the materials for the quilt that was never made. They even bought her old coffee-stained couch, and someone even bought the glass ashtray that was split in two. 
but our storybook bear was ignored by everyone who came to buy the dead woman's possessions. When the estate sale was over, they bundled up the last of her belongings in a U-Haul van and carried them off to the local Goodwill and donated them for a receipt which would help resolve any tax debts the old woman may have incurred. So our storybook bear was placed upon a shelf in the toy section and promptly and completely ignored as he sat and waited and gathered dust for ever such a long, long, long time. Heads of Barbies laid at his feet, as did a broken Tonka truck and wheelless matchbox cars. And strangely, those toys came and went as quickly as they arrived, and still no one bought our storybook bear. The days turned into weeks, and then months, and finally as the third year passed, he found himself stuffed into a box at the back of the shop, out of sight from anyone who may have the inclination to purchase him. Shoved into a box of tattered rags and soiled undergarments that no amount of bleach could ever get clean, our storybook bear did as all true bears do, and fell into a deep and fulfilling hibernation. As he slept, he dreamed, which, unlike most regular stuffed bears that neither require sleep nor have the capacity to dream like storybooks bears do, and he dreamed about mice, hundreds of them, maybe even thousands of them. The dreams were so real that he could have sworn he even heard them while he slumbered. There were mice flying model airplanes, there were mice on surfboards and sunning themselves on the beach. There were mice dining in restaurants and mice working in fields. There were mice paying taxes and mice playing with wheels. There were mice hanging from chandeliers and in funny hats. There were mice in front of ovens and mice holding bats. There were mice writing stories, much like the one you're reading now, and mice in the cupboard and mice milking cows. Some mice were astronomers and some mice washed cars and some mice sat on toilets and some played guitars. As our storybook bear dreamed of an amazing mousy world, he awoke with a start to notice that his gingham leg had curled. For while he had slept awash in rodent dreams, mice had in fact visited him and stole the batting from his leg with which to build their nests. They tore a hole at the end of his foot where the kindly old woman had tied him off, and through that wee open toe had dragged the contents of his leg out of him. Though he didn't have nerve endings like a regular sort of bear, his ursine pride was deeply marred, and frankly, his feelings were quite hurt. How dare those little rascals steal my innards, he thought to himself. That was my leg, not theirs. As the shock of it washed over him, he devised a plan with which to capture those little thieves. So he closed his little button eyes and waited until the return of the sound of little scurrying feet. It happened quite soon as far as our storybook bear measured time, which isn't like time measured by you and I in seconds and minutes and hours, but rather in months and years, which he referred to as moments and a while, respectively. And the scurrying came, scampering up the sides of the cardboard box in which he resided, and when the first whiskered nose came through the gnawed-out hole at the top of the box, our storybook bear managed to gather up all of his willpower, and with clarity he captured the wayward mouse and snatched it between its massive paws. Well, massive for the mouse that had been captured, but not massive in the truest sense of the word. Almighty oh, one! squeaked the mouse. O oh, majestic lord of all that you have provided to me and my kind, humbly, I beg thee, do not take away my poor and wretched life. It is worth less than a crumb of cheese, and I dare say not worth the trouble it must have taken thee to move about and capture me. 
for the mouse that our storybook bear had captured was indeed a crafty fellow and was learned in as far as any mouse had ever been before, and through his cunning deduced that the robbery of the stuffed bear's insides had awoken it from its slumber, because he had the foresight to listen to his, at his great-grandmother's knee, when she had expressed such tales to him when they curled under her tail as a young pinky, which had only been about ten weeks ago by the way in which we measure time, but not so for our little rodent brethren. Moved by the wee mouse's words of awe and adoration, our storybook bear had a slight change of heart and lessened his grip upon the mouse and lifted him where he stared button-eye to beady eye. And he summoned his first word with half of his strength while he used the rest of his strength to shake what remained of a shriveled gingham leg. Why? He stammered in one windy breath. It echoed about in the poor mouse's head. And in that moment of mutually understood pain of sentience, the mouse began to change his circumstances. Call it what you will, sorcery, science, or chicanery, it has yet to fail a mouse or man, and I doubt it ever will. Oh, mighty lord, he began with a bow, as best as could be accomplished through the mitten-like paws of our storybook bear. I humbly give you thanks for pausing to ask such a lowly mouse as I why your leg has been wasted away before your anger ever overcame you, and you simply just squashed me flatter than a squirrel in the road of a busy highway. Why? He rumbled and shook the poor mouse with barely a thought. Indeed, he stammered. I suppose it comes down to ignorance on our part. If we had known you were of the same mind as ourselves, I imagine, nay, I dare say, I know we wouldn't have taken your stuffing in the first place. I'm terribly sorry. If And there is plenty of other stuffing in the world that doesn't think or do as you do that we can find to use for our bedding. We can even get you some fresh stuffing to fill your insides with. By gum, it would be the finest we could find. But your stuffing, why, your stuffing is the very finest we have seen. And well, I'm not too sure if replacing your original stuffing with something new would be a good thing or not. With mirth in his eyes and a sorrow painted onto his face, the mouse wailed. What if, not saying it so, but just imagine what if. Why, you may, be lo may lose the ability to be alive as you are. In all my days as a mouse, and I've seen many to be sure, at least 67, I never saw a living stuffed bear. No, sir. And if we were to change anything about you, why, it could very well be the only way that there is to kill you. And seeing as you are doing a really fine job of living at the present time, I see no reason as to hurry along your demise. Why, you've got a lot of living left to do. Yes, sir, a lot of living indeed. Our storybook bear let the mouse free as he began to imagine all these horrors that come from just not being. Why, the idea of itself almost chilled him completely out of life at that very moment, and all he could do was say quite emphatically, No. No, indeed, he squeaked into our storybook bear's pinstriped left ear. And therein lays the problem we're mutually faced, friend bear. You see, my people are different than all other rodent kind. And in fact, it is probably due to your unknowing sacrifice you have gifted your poor and humble servants. For ever since we have used your most amazing stuffing to line the beds of our birthing mothers, we have developed and grown and becoming quite the epitome of what it truly means to be a mouse. If you come with me, I can show you the vast city that we have built within the walls of this very store. 
and so our storybook bear allowed the mouse to scurry ahead of him as they wound their way into the fiefdom of Lesser Mousefield. Along the way, he found that as he grew into becoming more awake, he had more strength, and what began as a slow plodding steps on all threes, he learned into a galloping maneuver that allowed him to keep his head raised. The crafty mouse wound his way between warehouse shelving with thousands of decrepit boxes and darted under a salmon-colored couch with a missing seat cushion. This way, friend bear, he squeaked. And there under the couch was a mouse hole unlike any other seen before by neither man nor beast. About the archway of the entry point into Lesser Mousefield was a solid silver frame upon which was engraved the words, The citizens of Lesser Mousefield welcome you. As they bound their way through the crowded streets and avoided the bustling carts dragged about by squirrels that had been tethered to them with bridles, they found their way towards a tall building that took up an entire block. It loomed so tall, all domed and regal looking, that even though our storybook bear wasn't educated in the least, he knew that it had to be the most important thing in the entire fiefdom of Lesser Mousefield. The mouse instructed our storybook bear to peer into the windows on the first floor, and when he did, he witnessed a mother giving birth to a litter of pups as she was swathed in stuffing that looked oddly familiar to the bear. That's the last bit of your stuffing we have left, the mouse said with a sigh. That was the only reason I had traveled to get some from you for the hospital. We needed more stuffing. Without your stuffing, whatever shall we do? With understanding, our storybook bear nodded his head, and removed the remaining fluff that remained and sucked in the flailing tatters of cloth of what had but once been his leg back into his torso and tottered back to his cardboard box to continue his hibernation. After all, he believed that these mice had far more fascinating lives than he had ever done or rightfully deserved, and they deserved to build their cities and grow and learn. They were doing far more with their sentience than he had ever done. And as he wandered back home, the mouse that had shown him such a world of mouse-kind wonder stifled a laugh. The stuffed kind of folk are so gullible. Though the mouse had professed the truth unwittingly to our storybook bear, he hadn't believed a word he was saying. Every mouse of Lesser Mousefield knew the truth. The great god Mickey had created mouse-kind in his own image as the rightful inheritors of the world, and even mankind acknowledged the truth as could be witnessed by their homages to the mighty god of all mice at fairy tale castles that, tempted, that were temples unto his greatness. Silly old bear, muttered the self-assured mouse, stuffing indeed. Yet it was just that, his stuffing, which caused mousekind to gain the gift of sentience. As our storybook bear slept and dreamed of mighty mouse cities with monorails and fast food restaurants, the world of mouse kind grew and grew. The buildings grew taller. They colonized more warehouses in the compound. And what had only been a small fiefdom of intelligent mice had now evolved into a nation of mice. And as they needed more stuffing, they once again found their way to the cardboard box that our storybook bear called home. A young mouse maid by the name of Chassie fell through the top of our storybook bear's cardboard box one day and landed right on top of our storybook bear's squishy tummy and awoke him from his dreams. With curiosity, he peered down at the stunned mousette and looked at the rather lovely dress she wore that was adorned and embroidered with red and blue flowers in various states of bloom. Why, I never believed the tales, the mouse maid whispered. 
I have gathered so much stuffing in all my life and never had the privilege of meeting a live stuffed bear. Lovely, howled the wind that wafted from our storybook bear's lips as he peered down at her. Chassie preened and readjusted her dress and said, Thank you. I'm Chassie. Who are you? Our storybook bear had no answer for the wee mouse, and because he had never seen a mouse as lovely as Chassie, decided to remain as still as he could in hopes that she would wander off in frustration. She was too pretty to even converse with him, and besides, she was a mouse. They needed his stuffing. They had lives to live. After all, they were mice. But Chassie wasn't the kind of mouse that he had believed her to be. All meek and timid as many of the mice maids before the Mouse Maids Equal Rights Amendment was finally ratified through the Parliamentary House of the Free Republic of the Greater Mouse Lands nearly 50 years ago. No, she was in fact quite strong-willed and some would even dare to say sassy. I know you can talk, she said in a friendly tone. There's no reason to be shy. It's quite all right that you don't have a name. I imagine it has been quite a hard existence being a rather motley-looking stuffed bear that just so happens to be alive. Without even thinking about it, our storybook bear blinked and offered his other hind leg. Take stuffing and go. I think I better grab stuffing from somewhere else, but thanks for offering. I'll be back to see you tomorrow. And with that, Chassie darted up and out of the box, leaving our storybook bear to wonder what he would do if she returned. Now, Chassie was a mouse of her word, and she returned the very next day. And by diligently flitting about our storybook bear with all sorts of questions and fascinating tales, it wasn't very long before they became the dearest of friends. Chassie shared with our storybook bear all about the world of mice that existed outside of his cardboard box, and seeing as he didn't know very many words or have a decent enough breath control to be able to form coherent sentences, he found other ways to communicate, either by nodding his head or waving his arms and legs about. Since he was first interred into the warehouse, much time had passed and Mousekind had achieved so many things. Chassie told him all about the Great Wall of Cheese, the habit trail tubes that had been rigged between the various nations of Mousekind, the freeing of the squirrels, and the invention of their steam-powered turbine engines, which provided electricity and lights all around the Republic. She told him, though, at one time, every mouse believed in the great god Mickey and the superiority of Mousekind, and how times had changed, and now the mouse scientists, those folks that had replaced the clergy as the answer guys, for all the things that go wrong in the world in the majority of the hearts and minds of her fellow rodents, are unsure of how they became the mice they are now. My stuffing, said our storybook bear. It could very well be, friend bear, but the only way we'll ever know is if you were to visit our research institute. Would you come there with me and let them test your stuffing? And so Chassie convinced our storybook bear to go with her to the research institute, and there they performed all kinds of scientific tests on him, and discovered much to their own surprise that though they could not understand how or why he had sentience to begin with, it was all because of that rather odd quilted bear that they were the mice they were today. Our storybook bear found a newfound fame among mouse kind, Many loved him for answering some of their oldest riddles, and still others hated him for having the audacity to attempt to dethrone Mickey from his rightful position as god of everything. 
the mice of the Free Republic of Greater Mouselands, built our storybook bear an astounding home in which to live, and seeing as he always enjoyed Chassie's company, she was given the title of liaison to the progenitor of self-awareness and was quartered in a lovely condo right next door to him. Living among other self-aware beings gave our storybook bear an opportunity to learn, and he took to education with gusto. In a short period of time, our storybook bear earned the equivalent of a doctorate in all of the disciplines that Mousekind had already mastered. While researching everything he could find about bears, he stumbled upon an ancient song written upon a scroll. In fact, it was not a real scroll, but a page that had been ripped from a children's songbook, and it read simply, the bear went over the mountain. The bear went over the mountain. The bear went over the mountain to see what he could see. And with those words, our storybook bear knew that he too wanted to see what he could see. So our storybook bear invited Chassie to journey with him to go to the other side of the mountain to see what they could see. But she declined against the trip as it was going to be very long before she would be giving birth to her fourth litter of pups any day now. So he wandered out of the old warehouse and into the world outside, far removed from the boundaries of the Free Republic of the Greater Mouselands. And as he scurried outside the big rusted doors, a motion-sensitive camera caught him on film and caused an alarm to go off in the security booth at the front gate. And even though the alarm was quite deafening, it didn't stop him from leaving as he searched for the lyrically referred to mountain so he too could see what he could see. For many days he wandered until he found himself at the base of a magnificent mountain and so proceeded to climb over it. It took our storybook bear nearly 12 days to get to the other side of the mountain, and when he arrived, he didn't notice that much of a difference to where he had come from, other than the fact that though there were mice here, too, they weren't as self-aware as his ersatz progeny had been, and he made up his mind to return home. Little did he know that while he was away, all that he had known had been taken away from the world. There were no more mice selling hot dogs on street corners, or flying mice held aloft on wings they made out of old plastic trash bags. There were no more librarian mice tending books, or scientist mice doing experiments. Even the temple dedicated to the great god Mickey was silent. All of the hymns that they had sung within were now silent. For on the day that he had left to see what he could see, he tripped an alarm, and the security camera saw what it believed to be a rather disfigured-looking mouse, and though many knew that there was a good chance the warehouse complex was completely infested, they never had such solid proof before. They called an exterminator that very day, and in the grand tradition of genocide, the entire Free Republic of the Greater Mouselands had been destroyed. A few days later, when our storybook bear returned home, he found the toppling remains of the formerly great rodent civilization, and in despair he wandered about the ruins of his former homeland. The horrific scenery filled his mind with rage as he found skeletons and corpses and odd bits of the same rodents he had called friends in his life. Not one mouse remained alive. Even Chassie was dead. And with great sorrow unlike anything he had ever felt before in his life, he began to cry and found that no matter what he tried, he could not stop. As time passed, he cried a little less though, and soon he was able to manage to shed only a tear a day. Every day that passed afterwards, our storybook bear shed a single tear until he cried upon that grew and grew and grew until the sorrow had completely dried up within him 
and had been replaced with righteous indignation, and he wandered back over the mountain. Our storybook bear did not forget. He would never forget the kindly old woman who crafted him from the fabric of unrequited dreams. He would never forget Chassie, who showed him his own value. And most assuredly, he would never forget all that his stuffing had done for the self-aware mice who had once called themselves the citizens of the free republic of the greater mouselands. On the other side of the mountain, which was exactly like this side of the mountain, only slightly further away, there were mice that would enjoy the benefits of becoming self-aware because of his stuffing. And with the right sort of leadership and guidance, they would become the greatest military force the world had ever cowered from before.